time to thrive. Welcome to the Thrivology Podcast with Dr. Lee Bauckham. Join us as we explore ways that you can thrive in your life, regardless of what life throws at you. It's your life. Time to live it. When my grandmother was leaving her home to go to her retirement community, she wanted to give me some things that she knew that I loved of her her house. And one of those things was a big stack of National Geographic magazines. Now, these National Geographic magazines by this time were decades old, some of them. But she remembered how often when I was at her house that, that she would find me back in the back office just going through the National Geographics and reading the articles. I've always been kind of a, a nature nerd and really enjoyed the science of that and, and watching the explorations of the world. But one of the things I remember is not just in those magazines, but in the National Geographic uh, filming of watching the hunts of the lion. And I remember one where I'm watching the lioness crouching in the grass, blending in almost perfectly with the grass on the savanna and slowly creeping up. You could watch just as the muscles were rippling in that body and you could almost feel that, that she had sprung herself ready, ready to be thrust out forward in this full on attack when she was ready and had picked her subject. She was focused. She could see where she was headed. She was aimed and focused on that target and you could just watch that energy get pent up, ready to explode. And then there is the footage of the antelope. There they are just trying to eat their grass and mind their own business, but they're all twitchy, right? And they're all listening and on guard, ready to flee at the slightest risk. And whenever they saw anything that made them a little nervous, the first thing they did is they took off. Now, their reason for that was the same reason the lioness was so focused. It was all about survival. And so the lioness was focused on her survival of picking out that one antelope to take down for for a meal. The antelopes, on the other hand, were only trying to avoid that situation, to avoid being lunch. And so they were on guard because they had little other defense. All they could do was get a head start. And so they were always in that anxious position. Now, the reason I bring that up is because we humans have both the lion brain and the antelope brain in us. Every one of us has both that prey and predator instinct. And that's part of why we struggle sometimes in this world. If we're, maybe if we were one or the other, we could always be in one mode. And you may know people who always seem to be in predator mode. But I promise you that part of what's going on in the background is a fear factor. And you probably also know some people who are always in prey mode, that they're always on alert and always in fear. But at some point, they have to become predator, even if it's just walking into the grocery store to pick up their food. We all have those within us. I have the lion brain and the antelope brain, and so do you. And that's part of why we struggle to deal with our emotional state all the time. Our ancestors, yours and mine, were also those twitchy antelopes, and and we know that because we're here. There were predators hunting uh, then, and we were both predator and prey, and so we had to be a little bit twitchy. Those ancestors had to be on guard, always ready to get away, and the fact that they did get away is why you're here. Those ancestors passed on ever more uh, careful genes. As time goes on, the ones who weren't so careful were weeded out. 
And so now we have kind of the survival of the safest in our gene pool. And that's part of what leads us to living sometimes very anxious lives, even in the spite of the fact that there is often no nothing at risk. Oftentimes we have these fears that catch us when there's no reality to them. Now, let me say that there are times when there can be some reality to those fears and still tell you that your fear probably doesn't help you much in coping with them because our fear is all about getting out of the scene or getting ready for the huge fight, that fight or flight. And neither one of those tend to be good ways of dealing with the factors that we now deal with that drive us into some anxiety. And let me also say that many of us find ourselves in anxious places. You may find yourself with anxieties that have nothing to do with reality. In fact, you may not even be able to figure out what's triggering the anxiety. So let's talk some about two areas of of how anxiety gets into our lives, both the psychological piece and the physiological piece. First, the psychological piece. Our thoughts are are what kind of live our lives out for us. We have these thoughts within us, and you ponder them and consider them and feel them and grow them. And sometimes they can get us stuck in an endless loop. Think about times when you might wake up at night worried about what's going to happen with your family or what's going to happen with your job or what's going to happen with your finances, and you go over and over and over. Now, notice that as you're having those thoughts that come to us, all of us have them middle of the night or right before we go to sleep, sometimes when we wake up, sometimes in the middle of the day, all of us have those thoughts. Some of us manage to step away and some of us manage to be captured by them. But those thoughts are just part of what our our mind's doing. It's doing what-if scenarios. It's trying to make sure that you understand what might come your way, even if the risk is almost zero of the reality of it. We still find ourselves constantly playing out those scenes. And our brain is so good at creating those scenarios that when we weave them, we act as if they're going on. Notice how closely your physiological life and your psychological life are are tied in, your mental life are tied in. Let's say you go to a movie. The movie is not real. It's just happening in front of you. It's just a picture on that screen. And yet your body reacts as if you're in there. Yesterday, I went to a very sweet uh, romantic movie uh, with my wife and daughter and a friend of ours, um, the, your big fat Greek wedding number two, right? Or my big fat Greek wedding number two. And I remember there were some, several poignant moments there. And I knew what was happening on screen was just for show, right? It, it was just a script. And yet my physiology, I could feel the choke from thinking about those situations and pondering those situations. The same thing happens when we go to a scary movie. We put ourselves in a scary movie because our brain acts in a fearful way. And in some ways, we like that excitement. We like losing ourselves into that excitement and into those fear moments because it lets us become in a different state of physiology. And that's the tie-in with our brain and our mind. When you go to the movie and you're watching it, you're trying to get an effect. You're trying to have that, that moment of excitement bring adrenaline into your system, which brings us into the physiological anxieties of life. So we have these thoughts that are going on, and every thought creates a cascade of chemical reactions in your body. And then your physiological anxiety kicks in and begins to build on that. Your body is ready for action in those uh, physiologically anxious moments. 
You know those times when you you're, you feel that that place in your stomach that's tight and and ready for something to happen, or fearful that something will happen, and you find that those adrenaline glands are just pumping out the adrenaline, so that our adrenal system is designed to get us on alert. You're driving down the road, somebody cuts in front of you, your body is flush with adrenaline, and you're in reaction mode. Now. Not always do we react the best because our, our body and our brain get hijacked by that anxiety, but it does create an instant reaction. Or maybe you walk down a dark alley and you feel your body getting tense and you feel the fear that wants, makes your body want to run, that makes your feet want to just take off. Or maybe you hear the tone in a spouse's voice or a boss's voice and you feel the adrenaline kick into your system that you're, you're in a fearful response place. You'll notice that it's the exact same feeling you have as that roller coaster is going up, 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 up the hill, ready to drop down on the other side. That fear and excitement, they're really the same thing. It's what the, the physiologists call an arousal state in the body. Your body is ready for some action. And our body is only uh, in that one reaction point of being flooded with adrenaline. Our brain is deciding whether it's something to be fearful about or excited about. And sometimes they're the same. Uh, when I went uh, skydiving with my son when he turned 18, I could feel the adrenaline kicking in, right? And it, there was some level of that that I was going, man, this is so exciting. And there was another part of me going, man, this is terrifying, right? I'm going to jump out of this plane with just this this one thing and and behind me that's going to to slow me down. And and so we have sometimes those places where it's excitement. We read it as excitement. Sometimes we read it as fear. And sometimes we read it as a combination of fearful excitement. But you'll notice that it's all the same feeling and your thoughts are often what propel that. So you don't have to walk down that dark alley. You can think about walking down that dark alley and it turns on the same signals in your body. Our thoughts create some realities for us and that's why this anxiety piece uh, drives us so quickly. So very quickly, let's just talk about the difference between fear and anxiety. When I think of about th- fear, it's, it's a short-lived response to some stimulus, very short-lived. You, you get a fearful response. Someone jumps out and scares you, and two minutes later, you forgot it happened. Somebody cuts you off in traffic, and 10 miles down the road, you've forgotten that it happened. Those fearful moments happen, they come, they pass, they go away. Anxiety, though, is a continued response. Whether the stimulus has continued or not doesn't matter. It's a continued response because we keep pondering it and our body gets stuck in a cycle and that's what happens. In fact, for me, an anxiety attack is watching a deepening stuck loop of anxiety that hijacks your physiological response system. When I worked in the hospital, many times I would be called to the emergency room who someone had been brought in and they were in the middle of a panic attack. They had already ruled out that they weren't having a a heart attack or anything that was life-threatening. It was just an anxiety attack. And there they were on the edge of panic, sure that something horrible was going wrong. So they called in the chaplain because they knew that if I could get that person calmed down, everything would resolve itself. And that's really the good news about these panic attacks. There's really no long-term damage to the body. Now, sometimes we get stuck in repeated 
anxiety attacks, but there's really no long-term damage. Now, there were people that I saw multiple times come in. The same people would come in, even though they knew somewhere in them that it was once again that anxiety attack. But it's so scary to have that anxiety attack that they had convinced themselves that sure enough, there really was something going on and they needed to get help. Now, the bad news is that those panic attacks can feel absolutely horrible. When they catch you, they shake you to your core because remember that fear, that fear is telling your mind that something bad really is happening. So the first time in, they think they had a heart attack and we resolve that. We get them calmed down and out of the panic attack and everything goes back to normal. And then it kicks in again. And the fear tells them it really is this time a heart attack and their body is going into a physiological state and stuck and around and around they go. So off they get to get those tests again, only to show that they're still just in an anxiety attack. So let's call panic attack and anxiety attack the exact same thing. And then let's say that an anxiety attack is really when the anxiety that can come from fearful stuff has become kind of a, a loop and it's a deepening loop, an ever deepening loop until it, it takes over the system and the feedback loop goes crazy. So what do you do with anxiety? Well, just as there are two levels, the physiological and the psychological, that's how you deal with anxiety. So let's talk about the psychological or the mental part. Four things to, to think about, four things that uh, can, are in your arsenal of how to deal with this. Number one, remember this fact that we humans seem to forget almost instantly. A thought is just a thought. And I don't mean to demean thoughts at all, but to say that a thought is a thought. It's not reality. It's a mental construct. No matter how much we work at it, we're always experiencing reality through our thinking process, through our filters that we have built in. And so a thought is a thought. And it's all it is. It's merely a thought. It's what a brain does. It's what a mind does. A mind is there to create thoughts. Every day, our minds create lots and lots of thoughts. Some of them are useful and a lot of them are useless. The anxiety thoughts tend to be fairly useless these days because they're not really saving you from the lioness on the savanna or anything else. It's really a true threat. But we keep acting as if those threats are still around us. And we have these thoughts as if whatever's happening tomorrow, we're going to be left penniless, homeless, and without food. And maybe even without love, right? And all of that kind of fuels those thoughts that we know at some moment are not true. So a thought is a thought. It's not reality. It's a thought. Now, the mind is a great thing. And the fact is that as I was create, creating this podcast and all the other podcasts, it's a thought, right? I'm, I'm conveying a thought I have. My hope, though, is that those thoughts are helpful thoughts, not so much the uh, useless thoughts or the harmful thoughts, but just a thought that might be helpful. The same thoughts that go into building and designing great pieces of art and architecture are the same thought processes that go into people thinking how they could take those things down. And so our minds just create thoughts, and we have to recognize that sometimes those thoughts are very helpful, very useful, and sometimes those thoughts are not so helpful, not so useful. And so we, number two, practice letting the thoughts go, reminding ourselves to release the thoughts. So let's say you're sitting at your desk or lying in your bed and up pop those thoughts of what's going to happen to me. What if I run out of money and you recognize that that's not likely to happen today or tomorrow. So you remind yourself that's a thought. 
Now, even if that's likely to happen, let's say you're facing the end of a job, I would just ask, is that thought a useful thought or a stuck thought? So pondering what might happen to you if you lose your job doesn't help with getting a new job or help you moving forward. So even if you say, well, there is some legitimacy to that thought, I would say, is there any helpfulness to that thought? And practice letting go those thoughts so that there's room in your mind for the thoughts that do help move you forward, the ones that help you move towards something you want to be doing. So after you're beginning to practice those letting go thoughts, then you begin to visualize and vocalize if those thoughts remain. So visualize and vocalize. Here's what I want you to visualize and here's what I want you to vocalize. Visualize a stop sign. That thought keeps going round and round your head and you can't turn it off. So visualize a stop sign. And at the same time, either verbally, if you're all by yourself, or in your head, yell out, stop. You're trying to derail that thought process. Now, here is one thing to understand. This is not so easy to do if you're out of practice doing this. It does take some effort. So don't expect the first time you're going to do it perfectly. Because whenever we have a thought, the neurons line up and they connect. And that thought is easier to have the next time. And so part of what you're trying to do is disrupt the neuronal pathway that has you on that worry thought. You want to disrupt and disconnect that by no longer following the route. It's kind of like uh, if you have a, a, a kind of a, a little place in your backyard. I remember my, my father, uh, they, the place that they have um, on the coast had a big alley right down the, the side of it. And a big alley was no big deal. It was unpaved and been fine for years. It was just kind of a crushed shell road. And then one day it got a little bit of a, a cut in it. And it rained and that cut began to be a little deeper and it rained. That cut began to be deeper until that cut was not quite a canyon, but it was quite a little gully washer. And every time it would wash, it would go more down. And so the water was finding an easier and easier way to follow that path every time it rained because it washed that gully deeper and deeper. The same thing happens in your mind every time you have a thought and you play out that thought and you keep playing it out. The more connected that neuronal pathway goes until you disrupt it. Until you throw some dirt into that gully to stop it from from flooding anymore. So you want to be doing that, visualizing and vocalizing. Visualize a stop sign, vocalize the, the word stop, either in your head or if you're all by yourself, say it loud to yourself. And if that doesn't stop, if the thought keeps coming back, then find a way to distract yourself. And remember that the ways you distract yourself really do need to kind of consume your thoughts. You don't want to just be saying, well, I'll listen to some music because while you're listening to the music, all you'll be doing is thinking that thought again. So find a puzzle or a game. There's a lot of research that shows that those those uh, thought games that we play on our tablets and our phones can help with dealing with with anxiety because it can distract your thought process and move you out of the anxious thought process. Um, There's some research that the the games that are fairly simple, so they're not things coming at you really fast, but those little puzzles to work um, can help you distract. So use a puzzle or a game or find someone to have a conversation that you know they're going to have an upbeat conversation. In fact, ask them about their life and ask them about what's going on. 
explore something new that will engage you. Go to a museum or go for a walk somewhere that's new and you can think about. Do some exercise that is engaging to the process. So getting on a treadmill, probably not the best thing to do because that's what's already happening in your mind. You're on a treadmill. But you might go for a hike in the woods or a run in the woods that's going to have you thinking about where you are and where your feet are and keep you fully engaged in that. Find something, maybe even an engaging book, some way of breaking that thought train and and getting you derailed from that thought onto something more useful. Find some way of distracting. So realize a thought's a thought. Two, practice letting that thought go just by reminding yourself a thought's a thought. Then three, if that doesn't work, visualize and vocalize. Stop sign and stop. And if that doesn't work for, go ahead and distract yourself so you're breaking that train. Now, here's the thing. The more often you do that, the more regular you are with this, the better you get at it, the more skilled you are at stopping this process. So what about the physical? Well, because our physical is so tied into this, you do this at the same time. We have to derail the thought process and hang up the adrenal process, disconnect the adrenal process, let the body naturally calm down. So what you want to work on is, number one, learning to belly breathe. I know I've said this before, but this is such an important skill to have. Belly breathe. The way to belly breathe, the easiest way, if you've never done it before, is to lie down on something flat. Put a hand on your belly button and a hand on your breastbone and work until, as you're breathing, the only hand that moves is the one on your belly button. Your chest does not move. As you do that, the easiest way to learn that is by lying down somewhere. But as you, after you've learned it, you can do it standing up, sitting down, wherever you are. Whenever you feel a little tension, just go back to that belly breathing. This is the same kind of breathing that you learn in meditation, in yoga, in singing, if you play a musical instrument. It's the same way that babies breathe naturally because they breathe kind of stress-free. A baby is not worried about something coming after them. So if you watch a baby sleeping, their little belly goes up and down, up and down, because they're in a calm state. Why is that important? Well, part of your physiological system is tied into your amygdala deep in your brain, the primitive part of your brain that doesn't understand words. And all it does understand is the physicality of it, your, your physiological response piece. When you are naturally feeling threatened, you automatically start breathing into your chest and you tighten up your diaphragm to protect those uh, uh, very important organs you have around there. And so your muscles naturally create a safety zone and your chest is trying to do its best. But the brain reads breathing out of your chest as a risk factor. And so it's a, a feedback loop between your brain and your chest breathing. And you can disconnect that by taking over the breathing process, going from uh, a sympathetic to parasympathetic uh, breathing. You take over the breathing. You can breathe on automatic. And and on automatic, your body is going to tense up your diaphragm when you're fearful and loosen up your chest as much as the chest can be. But you can take that over and decide to change your breathing pattern. And you slow down your breathing pattern. One of the things that happens when people are very anxious is they start breathing heavily and they begin to hyperventilate and that creates a runaway feedback loop. So you breathe slowly. So you might breathe in for three or four counts and breathe out for four or five counts. 
There are great apps uh, for phones and tablets that will show you how to breathe that process. So find one of those breathing apps and just follow the breathing pattern that's there doing the belly breathing and you'll discover that it naturally calms your system down. As you're doing that, begin to scan your body. This is number two. Begin to scan your body and relax any tensed muscles because when we tense a muscle, we also create a feedback loop with that adrenaline and we want to stop that too. Especially be sure to, to uh, try to unclench your jaws and loosen your neck and your shoulders and the bigger muscles. Once you've done that, begin to scan out your body and just try to uh, relax them. And, and one way to relax them, if you can't just say relax, is to tense whatever's tight and then release. And that usually sends them into a relaxed state. Number three, one of the regular ways we can cook off that adrenaline is with some exercise. Even light walking is helpful, but finding some exercise routine helps you bleed off the adrenaline that's naturally building up in a system that doesn't have activity. Our body's built to be active. And so when we're always constantly sitting at our desk with all these things bombarding us and coming our way, we end up storing that up. And when we store up that energy, it has to go somewhere. And unfortunately, the place it goes is in an internal process where we just keep on spinning those wheels in anxiety. So find some way of exercising, even if it's taking a light walk at lunch or after dinner, but somewhere allow your body to get back to that normal state. And number four, avoid substances that can increase this. Those would be sugar. Those would be caffeine. Um, a lot of stimulants that people take uh, in their life that they don't even realize. And some people, even when they're abusing drugs, are taking in stimulants into their body that naturally propel us into uh, more anxiety. Also, the people who take kind of slow down um, drugs and medications find that the rebound of that is often anxiety. So be aware that the substances you're putting into your body can lead to uh, levels of anxiety and even anxiety attacks. And while I'm talking about that, one thing I would suggest is that you very carefully think about anti-anxiety medication. Uh, the reason is because anti-anxiety medications are highly addictive. And there are some people who find that they cannot get off of them once they start. And unfortunately, they get on them at the um, suggestion of a doctor and then they get stuck on them trying to manage their anxiety by having to take more and more anti-anxiety. Now, this is a discussion to have with your doctor, but consider trying all natural ways and, and the ways we've talked about uh, before you ever step into those anti-anxiety medications. Some people find that they are a lifelong stuck point for them. And here's the bad news. Whatever dosage you start on will not be the dosage that continues because your body gets used to that and needs even more in order to cut off the physiological part. And then the part of your body that is designed to, to help you with that process goes offline. It's as if your body says, well, if you're going to take the medication to deal with that, then I'm not going to waste the energy on me doing that. And you become, A, addicted to the substance, B, you uh, need that more and more psychologically to do it, and C, your body doesn't have the capacity of kicking back in. And that can be a very dangerous place to be. So before you ever uh, look into anti-anxieties, first, do a lot of research on the medication that's being suggested. And second, try all natural remedies to get there first. So remember this in terms of the mental or the psychological. Remember, a thought is a thought practice releasing those thoughts, letting them go. 
then visualize and vocalize. Visualize a stop sign, vocalize, stop, and then distract yourself in some way. While you're doing that, physically work on your belly breathing, even maybe using an app on your phone, um, and you can use that throughout the day. Remember, one of the things that happens with anxiety attacks is when the anxiety was not quite an attack, it was just a little anxiety, it wasn't stopped. And it began to gain steam and it began to gain, gain power until it was spinning around in a big psychological uh, anxiety storm. And that's what leads to that panic attack or anxiety attack. So then number two, relax those tensed muscles. Do a body scan Relax everywhere you can. Number three, exercise. Find a way of letting your body naturally get off of those um, those adrenaline pieces and, and find a natural state to be. And then number four, avoid substances. Hope this is helpful. Remember that everybody has both that antelope and the lion in their head, and we have to figure out a way of managing that. Uh, I hope this uh, helps you find some ways of, of managing your anxiety, whether it's just kind of common, ordinary, everyday anxiety, or if you find yourself more prone to those anxiety attacks and feel that anxiety has gotten more than a foothold in your, in your brain, in your mind, in your life. If this has all been helpful for you, I would love it if you would consider becoming a patron of mine. Supporting this, finding some ways of helping us spread the word. I really think that that's how we increase the thriving in our world, by letting more and more people know that there are great ways of thriving, not because life uh, is just one big easy street, but because we have to learn to deal with the difficult things. You can become a patron, uh, and the way to do that is to go to thrivology.com slash patron. And if you want to and you're already on the website, just kick, uh, click on the Patreon button that's just to the right of uh, this article. And it says become my patron um, and send you to Patreon, a company that helps you do that by let, letting you pledge an amount. Think about what, how much of a difference this makes in your life. You may say, you know what, I get $2 of difference in this for a month. Or you might say, I get $200. <laughs> Whatever it, it works for you is good with me. But what you notice is the small amounts here and there add up and allow us to support this and do more and more to help you to thrive. So consider being a patron. But otherwise, I hope you have found some ways of coping with your anxiety, of cutting off that feedback loop and moving into a better place. This is Lee Balkum wishing you the best for a thriving life. listening to the Thrivology podcast. Thank you for listening. If you want more information, visit us at thrivology.com or at thrivologymagazine.com. Remember that Thrivology is spelled T H R I V E O L O G Y. It's your life. Time to live it. Uh-huh.